0: And we are back. My name is Jack and you're listening to Dev90X. Today is day 77. It's Friday the 22nd of October and the title of today's episode is Scoping the Competition. So I started my day today like any other day. I woke up, did my Duolingo and then did my breathwork practice. As breathwork practice is now my job, (laughs) I tried something a little bit different. I played a different music playlist and just experienced my practice with a different kind of music. I learned two things from this. Number one, music pairs with breathing 100% in a really big and impactful way. When I'm doing the more rapid style breathing in my practice where I'm doing my stomach pumps, they're called um, Kapalabhati and bastrika, and also Agnisar as well. This part of the training trains the more of the sympathetic nervous system, the the get, go and get <laughs> nervous system, get at him nervous system, um, fight or flight. And it pairs pretty well with more fast paced, kind of upbeat music in a way because it gets you in that mental state as well as being in the physical state. So like your mental state matches your physical state and you kind of push your nervous system in a sense it's like it's not it's not a bad thing to push your nervous system when you're consciously training it uh, because you want to be able to control it and then the next thing straight after that the sympathetic response goes into a parasympathetic relaxation response and then pairing the music with that you don't you definitely don't want to have anything fast paced or upbeat or upbeat fine sure but like more slow and relaxing is definitely much much better when you're going into relaxation and parasympathetic especially for the breath holds you want to relax your body as much as you possibly can which is one of the things i love about the extended breath holds is that you you have to find ways You're like hunting down points of tension in your body because every point of tension shaves, you know, seconds off your max hold. And so it really forces you to find where the tension is and to try and let go of it and just fully, fully relax, fully relax your nervous system. And almost it's like you're drifting off into space or like you're floating in an like infinite expanse of calm water. (laughs) That's that's the ideal end state of what what you're trying to achieve with that part of the practice. And so the music definitely has to pair properly with that. You don't want something that's going to amp you up. So that was what I learned today from doing the practice with different music. um, Because I already had been regularly practicing practicing it with a playlist that was curated for the practice specifically. And that playlist was curated really well. So it already matched it and paired it up really well. So it's good to see the opposite of that, of what it, what it's like when it's not paired well. So I did my breathwork practice, and then I started my day with a little bit of coding um, from more lessons from the Unwrap app, which is just fantastic, honestly. This app is it's just, it's just a high quality learning experience, and it's enjoyable to lo- use. It's a really simple design. I'm 100% happy with the user experience, and it's just so simple and easy to use, and, I just love it. I I just think it's so great that such a high quality learning experience has been bundled into an app. It's 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 so so good that it actually competes with like I've got my laptop here and I could be doing anything like I could be on Xcode. I could be on YouTube. I could be doing like a course on Udemy or something like that. But I'm sat there with my phone instead because the high quality content is on in this app. (laughs) Um, So I yeah, I just I love I love this Unwrap app and Paul Hudson did a great job with just designing a really streamlined streamlined, optimized learning experience. Uh, and then yesterday I scanned the Google Play Store for any Breathwork apps that are on Google Play. Lucky for me, I have both an iOS device and an Android device. So I'm covering all the, all the bases uh, because I previously had Android, kept my phone, didn't sell it, didn't give it away. And that was a good decision. Definitely, definitely a good decision to hold on to an Android device um, and bought my iPhone. And now my iPhone is my primary, which was also a good decision. Having an iPhone um, upgrade from my old Android was a huge upgrade on every aspect, speed, battery life, camera, user experience, just everything is just so much better. <laughs> so there is I would probably argue to say that this is the biggest Breathwork app in the world by number of downloads. I'm not sure how many downloads the Wim Hof app has, but um, this one has over a million downloads and over 76,000 reviews, most of them five or four stars. It's like more than 4.5 out of five. Incredibly, incredibly highly rated app. And I didn't know about it until I looked on the Android store. But it's not on iOS. It's not on Apple. This app is targeting the Android market exclusively and solely. And so in a way, we won't be going into competition with this app, which is great. Um, But it's there for us to learn from. And it's got so much valuable content in the reviews. Just reading these reviews is like, oh, wow. (laughs) We can really see what people love about this app and why some people use it every single day. And that is just such a goldmine of value in terms of having that going into a design phase with the handstand app. I didn't have anything like this. It was a completely new design and it's hard to gauge it is it is hard to gauge what people really, really will love about the app when there's nothing similar to it that you can kind of compare from and learn from the reviews and see how they how well they did and and look at what they did poorly, like when when you're an Amazon um, professional who like does e-commerce professionally, that's how you do it. You look at the competition, you look at what people you, you read the reviews, you look at the reviews and you see what people kind of love about products and what they what where it's lacking. And then you go, go ahead and then create a product that addresses all the lacking things. And then you promote <laughs> and write copy around your new product that has all the things that the other product doesn't have that people want. Um, it's kind of like an essential part of product development when it's, when you're going into competition with other other products. So that's, that is the theme of the episode today: scope in the competition. It's such a nice thing to be able to do that compared to a handstander where I couldn't, couldn't do that. There was not really anything like it. Um, there are other benefits of course, to being a first mover in a market as well. If you are capable of executing a really good product in a market that hasn't ever experienced it before, and you know it's 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 like that phrase where if you ask if you ask people a hundred years ago what they want, they would say a faster horse, but they didn't have this concept of a car or a motor vehicle in their mind, so they couldn't say I want I want a car. Um, and then when Apple released the first iPhone, it was it was something that people didn't know that they wanted and and now that is the standard. Smartphones are 100% the standard. Um, so it, there are advantages to being a first mover, but there are, are also disadvantages. and there's in a way sometimes being a second mover is the best the best bet. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is it. I've just been re- there are thousands of reviews for me to read through. And I have been reading through a lot of them. And just there's so many gems there. And this other app is actually really great. It's, from what I can see, developed by one indie developer who pours a lot of work and time and effort into this. He responds to almost every every review. And there are like five written reviews like every single day. So this guy is putting a lot of time and effort into his app. And <laughs> the thing that struck me that really kind of stood out for this app is that there's a whole wiki for every single page of the app explaining exactly, and even videos on YouTube explaining how to use this page of the app, explaining all the features, what it does, how to, you know, like just a tutorial of every single page of the app. And not only that, but the wiki has just a knowledge base on every different breathwork practice, which which covers, you know, the science, the the tradition from yoga um, you know so all the information that you could kind of want to read the FAQ so to say on every every different practice and it, it's pretty comprehensive as well on covering a lot of the different practices from yoga um, so very interesting definitely targeting the Indian subcontinent kind of market area that's where iPhones are Pretty much non-existent because they're too expensive, and everyone has Android devices. And that's also where yoga is more mainstream in terms of the using the actual words from from yoga, the different pranayamas. When you say "bastrika" in a Western market, nobody knows what you mean. But in India, most a lot of people know what what that is. It's like a form of pranayama. It's a breathing practice. Many people probably even know exactly, specifically how to how to do it. Um, So it's it is interesting to look at it from that way as well. And also reading the reviews, you can see that a lot of the reviews are from people who have names from this area. But there's also a heck lot of uh, Western people with Western names as well. I'm seeing reviews written in French and other languages. So really, really good sign It's like very motivating to me to see that the Western audience wants this just as much as the Eastern audience does. Because this practice is universal in that sense, but the marketing and the branding uh, and the language behind it need not be universal. Where Wim Hof took what, what, what is pretty much Tumo breathing, which is, I uh, checked this out because I, I mentioned it yesterday and I wasn't sure if it was a Buddhist practice. It's a Tibetan Buddhist practice and it's called Tumo, spelled with double M. He took that and just called it Wim Hof method. Uh, and, you know, obviously changed it like, you know, the Wim Hof method isn't just the breathing. It's also the cold showers. It's also the the mindset. It's the whole thing. It's the the holistic. It's the method, you know. Um, but that was more digestible to people than just saying to breath. I do to breath. You do to breath, <laughs> like, me do to you do to <laughs> Um it's it's a lot more. It's, yeah. I mean, from a branding and marketing perspective, it's a, it's a lot better to change the names of things. And uh, Bikram did this as well. And Bikram took what was I, I can't I don't actually know the name of the of the teacher that he that he got it from or the discipline even. I'm not sure exactly what the discipline was traditionally. Um, but I know that Bikram basically took a sequence that was well taught and pretty commonly known in India and just called Bikram, which is his name and called Bikram Yoga. Went to the West where nobody knew about it and created this whole brand around Bikram. He changed it a little bit to make it unique in that Bikram is t- typically done in a hot room uh, where, where in, in India you don't have you know hot yoga studios. You just have India. It's just hot. <laughs> so. So um, I guess that is the unique spin on it. Um, but again that's a, a classic example of how you know one man took took something that was kind of copyrighted something that was sort of open source in in a sense uh, not to say that that is the right thing to do where you know you like create a branded sort of try to like brand every every different every different ancient yogic pranayama with a, its western name like a new western spin on it um, definitely doable, definitely something that could be done, but should be done. Not sure. Not sure if that is the right thing to do Um, from a high level, though, calling it athletic breath and then creating unique sequences that are not from yoga, but inspired from yoga is definitely, definitely something that is totally, totally okay to do. So Jack's hack for today is. When you are this is something that I've learned from the experience of building a startup and 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 then now going and in, going into my own app business and doing my own app startups, is that when you are designing features, it's so easy to brainstorm, you know, 101 different features that could be cool, and. You, you kind of have to, in, in a way, know the whole feature landscape before you can start to discern the ones that are actually the most important features. Um, but the thing is that you have to go through a discernment process where you're not just, you're not building things that are cool and fun to build, but you, you are only building things that people actually want and that actually make the product better. Because Every time you build a feature, it's easy on paper to build a feature. It's very easy on paper. It's like, all right, let's make a like, like, let's put a button here, an icon, you click it, opens this view, this view has, you know, some settings or some information, maybe a video, a bit of content, some animations or something like that on paper and in words. It's very easy to build a new feature. But in practice, what that actually means is that you're increasing. Number one, you need people, you need to have people on the team who are skilled enough to build it. And they're always at an opportunity cost of what to build. So they're always working on something. There's always something to be working on. And there's always an opportunity cost of working on that one thing that, you know, they could be working on something else that's more important uh, or higher impact. Um, So there's the opportunity cost to consider. But then there's also the increased code base. It starts to expand the code base and every bit of code needs to be maintained. So every time, you know, over time, hardware changes, Software changes, and code has to evolve with the time. It's not like you just write code once and then it's good forever. It might be good for a long time, but it's not good forever. And so there's that maintenance cost. There's the complexity cost. And so you have to be very discerning with the with the new features that you throw into an app because not only that, but it also makes the user experience more potentially more convoluted and complicated. It can also annoy certain users that maybe you know, they're used to a certain user flow and now things have been shuffled around and they don't know how to do what they, what they were able to do like five seconds ago. That's very annoying for people who are not tech savvy and find it difficult to learn user experiences through apps. I mean, I, I just think of my dad whenever, whenever he has to learn something that he previously like relearn some kind of technology that he previously knew how to do because he was used to something. It annoys the heck out of him. Like, really, really frustrates him. And so, uh, I just think of him when I think of like having a design that people know and love, and then changing a major aspect of it. Like, if you look at Duolingo, it's a wonderful app that has been very, very careful with the way that they introduce new features. The core experience of Duolingo, they did a good job with it. They only they only made it better. They didn't make it different. So. You you still have that essentially it's essentially exactly the same experience. It's like you have got that same vertically scrolling screen, bubbles that represent lessons, bars that represent progress, um, and then it just got bigger. The animations got better, the graphics got better. Uh, they got there's more lessons, and then they introduced leaderboards in a separate tab, so it wasn't like competing with you know, your typical user experience, it was in, it was like an addition to that that wasn't too hard to extend on. And then when they had leaderboards and they started adding in timed lessons, rather than going and putting timed lessons into the core initial user experience of that main learning sequence, they they didn't try to find somewhere to stuff it in there. They just added it as a little bubble in the leaderboards. And I'm sure that they A-B tested that to see if people could find it and what they, if they used it if it made anything more confusing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like I, I appreciate how they have rolled things out. I also know that they A-B test and that they roll things out to subsets of users before releasing it to everyone, which is good on a number of levels <laughs> that you can you can test features um, without, you know, like on a on a low risk level, like you're not testing it on the entire user base. And it creates buzz because people talk about it and they're like, oh, I got this cool new feature. And then other people are like, hey, I don't have that. How do you get that? And like it spurs on like forum conversations. And yeah, a lot of people, it just, it just makes, creates buzz around new features at the same time as testing them out properly and safely. So I, I draw a lot of inspiration from how, how Duolingo has evolved over the years. I think that's great. But yeah, Jack's hack. I only build things that people actually want. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Day 77. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.